Because we are a church that gathers, because we are a church that scatters, and that we are a body now that has been given a reputation for good works, right? And again, that, that kind of goes back to sort of this declaration that I made um, a minute ago before we started singing when I said, this hour is not like other hours, right? This is when what? The, the people of God worship God as a community redeemed by the blood of Christ and then empowered or sent, moved out um, by the Holy Spirit for good works. And, and, and that really gets us to the heart of this idea of what it means to gather and scatter. And that is the reason why our neighbor was to be able to stop us uh, in the middle of our walk and say, this is what I've heard. This is the reputation. And by the way, you're probably not going to like being next to South Street Grill when you guys are going to move. You know, I mean, she got a little confused with that part about it, but I, I, got to, I got to realign her and set her straight. But so if you were with us a couple weeks ago as we started this series, which really is a, a little bit of a draw from, from our membership booklet that, that I've, I've told you guys I'm, we're in the process of, of honing down and rewriting, um, we learned that being the church means, first and foremost, it means being worshipers. Remember week one, we went through that. And then last week, we learned that we're not only worshipers, but because we're worshipers, we're learners and we're leaders. And then this week, we're going to see that in a, in a world that prizes, listen to this, rugged individuality and personal autonomy, Jesus calls the church to gather and to scatter for the sake of spiritual maturity and honest community and missional vitality. So that's what we're going to look at today very briefly. The first part of that that I want us to dive into as you've turned to Hebrews 10 is that, man, we want to understand why the church must gather. Why is the church this gathering entity? Why are you here? Why are we here? Why do we do this thing at, thank the Lord, 10 a.m. now? on Sunday mornings. Well, Hebrews 10, this is what it tells us. Verse 24, it says, and let us consider how to, <coughs> excuse me, stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. I'm just gonna stop right there because what we have right there is just a baseline. It's just a baseline for us when we hear the writer of Hebrews, which a lot of people think was the Apostle Paul, just say, hey, how is it that as the church, we're supposed to be of some good to one another? And by of some good to one another, we mean stirring up one another, encouraging each other in the gospel, coming alongside one another and saying, hey, it's okay. Keep going. Keep doing those things in obedience to the Lord, even though you might be struggling in a dozen different areas. He says, don't neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but meet together as a way to encourage one another. And even all the more as you see the day, as you have the Lord's return in view, drawing near, meaning we don't know when the Lord is going to return, but we have that in view, right? We're expectant toward that. Even though no, 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 uh, no one knows the day or the hour, um, we should be expectant that the Lord is drawing near to us. And he is drawing near, not just in his second coming, but because of Christ, he is always drawing near to us. So right here off the top, as we talk about being a church that gathers and scatters, we see a few things happening here as we begin to understand why this isn't an optional activity 
for the church. All right, so I'm going to have you turn to Ephesians chapter 4. I think we went there last week, probably the week before, probably next week too. <coughs> Excuse me. And um, we're get, there's a lot of overlap in between these messages. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. So when we ask the question, why should the church gather? Why the church must? Why, should, why does the church need to be a gathering collection of saved souls? Well, the first thing that we see is it's to gain spiritual maturity. I'm going to pick up in verse 11, and it says, Paul writing to the church, he said, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So there's a tradition going way back for God to call prophets, if you go all the way back to the Old Testament, and then apostles and preachers and teachers into the New Testament who listen to the word of the Lord, who receive the word of the Lord, and then speak the word of the Lord so that God's people can grow and mature through that receiving process. And man, I'm telling you, it's a strange method, especially in our day and age. Like what I'm doing right now is we, it's weird. You know, I mean, I mean given how, given the, just the, the nature of how we receive information now, I mean, in some ways you could look at this and go, man, it's kind of antiquated. Like, so let me get this straight, Ronnie. Like you go up there and you speak for 25 minutes, right? I usually don't go over that, but you speak for like 25 minutes and at no point am I allowed to weigh, you know, raise my hand and like speak into that. And the answer is that's correct. At no point are you allowed to raise your hand and ask a question. You have all the time in the world afterwards to do that, by the way. Um, but this is something where, man, I am speaking the word of the Lord, not my word, but I'm speaking the word of the Lord to you. And somehow, I don't know how to figure this out, but he gave me to this place at this particular time in the history of the church to do that for you, his people. I don't know. I don't know how that all happened, but here's where we're at. This is where we are. And this is the tradition that he has called us to. And by the way, we would probably choose more preferable methods if it was up to us, but there's no substitute, what Paul is saying here, for receiving God's word from the mouth of those God has called to speak it. Man, that's not me trying to keep my job by saying that either. This is God's method. When we go to 1 Corinthians 15, you don't have to turn there, but Paul says, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So Paul is saying, hey, hey, there's this thing that God does where he gave me the gospel. He allowed me to preach the gospel to the church. The church receives the gospel and the church is able to stand on the vitality of the word that is preached to the people, right? There's power in these words. There's power in receiving these words. There's power in being changed by this word, even though you might not feel like you're being changed in the moment. There's something about sitting under the word week after week, which is how you gain spiritual maturity. 
I mean, every time that our daughter, we used to do the thing where, you know, we'd, we'd stand her up, we'd, we'd mark her head, every, you know, uh, you know we'd, we'd mark over the top of her head, you know, in the closet, like how much she's grown that particular year. And every year it was like, I didn't see, man, I didn't see you grow, but somehow you're that much taller. That line just inched up a little bit more. I didn't see it, but it happened. And it happened because, I don't know, we, we fed her, right? We like, we, we gave her something to drink. At the end of every day, she had some food and some water, right? We were a little rough. Um, but that's what we did for her. We couldn't see the growth, but the growth was there nonetheless because those things were in place. So the environment that God chooses for that to happen happens to be in the church as part of the gathered body. He has not called any of us to isolate. Isn't that interesting? Nowhere in scripture do we see this sort of this idea that God said, hey, I saved you. Now, man, you're on your own. And I want you to stay away from everybody. I want you to just figure this thing out. In fact, getting near people is what's going to jack you up. Well, that, that, there is some truth to that, but that's not what he did. That's not what he established for us. He, esta he established the church. And this is how he did it. He did it so that we sit under God's word together so that we can stand together as God's people. That's what Paul just pointed out to us. We sit under God's word together so that we can stand together as God's people. Even your personal devotion time is meant to reposition your heart to help and walk alongside and be a helping hand to another heart, right? So why should the church gather? Well, very simply, to gain spiritual maturity. The second thing is to engage in honest community. Let's turn to the book of Acts. You want to make a hard right and go to Acts chapter 2. I'm sorry, a hard left. Go to Acts chapter 2. Don't listen to me. I'm just going to turn there. Acts 2, verses 42. Now, this is that moment where the early church is being planted. It's being established. People are coming together. They're planting churches. They're, uh, they're, they're establishing community. They're listening to the word preached. They're reaching in to their neighborhoods and their towns. And Acts 2.42 talks about this fellowship that the believers had. And this is what it says. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together. And they had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as, as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So this was the creation of honest community. We'll get into that word honest in a minute. Let's turn to uh, uh, chapter 4, Acts 4, 32, because this continues. Lest we think that was just one isolated moment, this continues into the future. And again, this word of having everything in common is there. So chapter 4, 32 says, now the full number of those who believe were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were given their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And great grace was upon them all. 
There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as had any. We're just going to stop right there, man. We could just keep going on and on with this. But the point is that they had all things in common. There were these communities that were created and established that composed and comprised the church of which there were both spiritual and physical needs that were taken care of. We see that happening at Substance. We see people whose spiritual needs are being taken care of, are being uh, administered to. And we also see that people's uh, physical needs are being provided for um, as well. There was honest community being established. So when we read these passages in Acts, man, we want to understand what's going on here, man. These were not men and women who, who established some hippie commune, right? That's not what we're looking at. But they created an honest community. It means that, that they were caring for each other physically and spiritually. They were nourishing one another in ways that, by the way, didn't deny their reality, but spoke into the reality of who they were and where they were at. So it's Substance Church... We like to begin that process of caring for one another, of engaging in honest community. We like to begin that on Sunday. And then we like to lead into the week, into the middle of the week, and we have these things called community groups that meet on Wednesdays and Thursdays, which are a way for us to stay connected in the week as a way to grow spiritually, as a way to provide for one another physically, which connects us back to Sunday where that cycle starts all over again. And so if someone looks from the outside, like that story I described to you in the beginning, they would see a particular kind of people. That's the big idea here with people who are growing spiritually mature because they gather and scatter and they create honest community. They would see a people that are different. They would see a people that are gentle They would see a people that are reasonable and patient with one another and all the weaknesses that we have and that we bring to the table. They would see a people that graciously encourage one another to remember the gospel, to remember your baptism, remember who saved you, remember whose you are now, remember who is your father, remember whose son and daughter you are, remember that you're not alone. Remember that you are covered and surrounded by a community that is honest with you and honest before the Lord about everything that's going on in their hearts and sometimes even things that are going on in your own heart. Because it also means that we care for the needs of others, not only with our time and resources, but we cultivate relationships with each other to the point that we graciously correct graciously admonish one another. Why? Well, in order to continue that stirring up of one another to good works. Like this, like Ronnie, brother, how are you doing? Man, I hope I'm wrong, but I'm, I feel like I'm detecting some bitterness in you with some of the things that I've heard you say lately. What's going on with you? Or hey, I'm sensing some sadness. Man, is there stuff going on in your life? Man, I would love to hear. I have ears for you. I'd love to hear what's going on with you. Or, hey, man, you just, I can't articulate it. Maybe I'm wrong, but you feel off. How can I pray for you? How can I care for you? 
See, that's honest community where we have developed and we've cultivated relationships to the point where, where you feel the freedom to approach me with those concerns. And I feel the freedom to approach you with those concerns. Not, not, because, not because I'm your pastor, but because we are walking together in this gathered and scattered church, growing together in maturity and trying to cultivate some level of honest community. And that's where the honesty comes in. In Galatians 6.1, Paul said, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. What a gracious thing for us to do that. But then he says, keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. So that, that brings us back to humility when we approach somebody and we say, hey, man, I would love to hear about what's going on in your life. I'm not here to blast you. I'm not here to condemn you. But because I want to grow an honest community with you, when my spirit senses that something's off, man, I just want to know because I want to see you doing okay. I want to see you growing in spiritual maturity. I want to make sure there aren't barriers in your life. And maybe I can help you with some of those barriers. Why? Because you get stuck and I get stuck. And we need the body of Christ, the gathered body of Christ, to help unstick us and to pray for us and to help serve our needs in ways that maybe until somebody actually gets close to us and asks us how, we can't, can't articulate it. So this is the kind of community that is being described for us in the book of Acts. And of course, we know that to stir up one another requires an investment it requires an investment in one's soul, in another's soul. Man, I, uh, some of you guys are going to kill me for saying this. Um, but I like some sweetener in my coffee. Um, I'm just going to be honest with you guys about that right now. Me and Jillian Watson, um, we like a lot of sweetener in our coffee. And, um, but what I've noticed is that, man, it's not just enough to put the sugar in there. I actually need to, to stir it in because I want the sweetness to permeate every sip that I take. And so that's what it means to stir one another up in love and good works. It means that together we gather to grow in spiritual maturity. It means that we're constantly cultivating, creating honest community. It means that we're not just leaving everything laying by the side, but we're being intentional in how we approach one another with gentleness and with reasonableness, right? And again, not just only to correct, but also to say, hey, tell me some of the evidences of grace that God has been displaying in your life because I want to be encouraged by that. You see how that works? You see how that, that works to continue to allow us to stir up each other towards good works? So here's, here's kind of a summary of what we just went through. A church that doesn't know what they believe, that is not gathering, that is not growing under the word, a church does not know why they believe what they believe or even know how to apply it for the building up and encouragement of others, man, will not scatter into the community with any kind of missional vitality because we won't be armed. We won't have the strength and the support and the maturity and the knowledge and wisdom, the increased knowledge and wisdom and faith in the Lord to go out there and be an effective presence, right? And in fact... Instead of presence, preference will typically be given priority, right? Man I, man, I like the worship, but man, the preaching, it's just, oh man, right? Kids ministry, you know, 
I mean, I appreciate the kids' ministry, but I'm not so into the worship. Man, Ronnie, I, I just show up for that 25 minutes you preach, and I'm, I'm in and I'm out. Instead of seeing the gathering as a place of spiritual nourishment, as a place of mutual encouragement, as a place of preparation for kingdom advancement, as seeing what you do here is not just something that you attend, Right? Pastor Jeff Powell, he talks a lot about this. One of his lines is, don't, don't just be a church attender. Anybody can attend a church, right? We talked about this uh, early on. You can attend a sporting event. You can enjoy the sporting event. You can root for the team on the field. The problem is, is that um, you're not really a player unless you're on the field. And so God hasn't called us to just show up, get our season tickets, and watch the players in the field, but he's actually called us to being on the field. Matt Smethurst made this comment. He's a writer, pastor. He said, the strength of the church scattered will be determined by the, I I didn't tell him to write this, substance of the church gathered. (laughs) Obviously, I couldn't pass that up as a quote. So what we want to work on as we gather is that there is some substance to substance. Right? There is some growing and maturing in God's word. There is some honest community being created and then being cultivated. Why? Because we're not in here all week. We're not living in here all week. Right? This is not like our community home. We scatter. We go to places of work and school and influence. And we take everything that God does in this space And we walk with it out into the spaces that he's given us to live in. And so that gets us in just to the the subject here of how the church should scatter. How do we become missionally viable people? Also known as how do we be a church that makes disciples, right? How do we become a church that is going after the souls of people who don't yet know Jesus, both who don't know Jesus and who need help in their walk with Jesus. It's a, it's a both and. And this is what I like to do when we talk about being a missional church. We're going to talk about this. I think it's our final week in the series. But we're going to touch on it here for a minute. One of the questions I like to ask because uh, an old pastor friend of mine asked this question at his church and it stuck with me like two decades ago. But I like to think that Ashland should be different because of Substance Church, right? Not because of the institution, right? But because of the people. The question that I like to ask is, if Substance ceased to exist, was Ashland any better because we were here? Is Ashland any better because this thing exists in this warehouse during this particular moment in history that God intended to sovereignly place us here. Does that make sense? Is Ashland any better? That's an important question for us to ask. It's an important question for us to answer as we just consider if we are being missionally viable and vital. So what does that look like then? What is missional vitality? I'm using all these V words. What does missional vitality look like? I'm not going to have you turn to any of these. I'm going to have you turn to something here in a bit. But I'm going to go through some passages that sort of show us what missional vitality looks like. Matthew 28, 19 
teaches us that to be missionally viable means we have to obey the call of Jesus. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. It's the great commission for us. Jesus tells us to go. So the first thing about being missionally viable is that we go, right? And we have this sense of going. We have this sense of being sent because Jesus was sent. And if our lives are being modeled after Jesus, it means we are being sent every Sunday back into our communities, just like Jesus was sent from heaven into our community. We have to remember that. And we have a command from God, from Jesus himself, that says, go and make disciples and teach and baptize and do these things that I did during my earthly ministry. So we obey the call of Jesus. That's how we become missionally viable baseline. Secondly, we reflect the light and the flavor of Jesus. Matthew 5, 13, you are the salt of the earth. But, salt, but if salt has lost its taste, how will its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world, Jesus says. A city set on a hill, it can't be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Sometimes we forget that we are the light, we are the flavor of Jesus. We are the aroma of Jesus to those people that are around us. We forget that God has created us to be a light. Why? Because we have that light inside of us because of, because of the work of Christ. That light of Jesus is inside of you. We have to remember that. We have to remember that we carry that light with us. And whether you like it or not, and when you should like it, that light is shining in some way off of you when people know who has redeemed and saved you. Right? So I ordered some, we were, we were at a restaurant last night, and I ordered some mac and cheese, and I, I was so pumped. I was so excited for that mac and cheese. I wanted that mac and cheese. The reason why I had to get mac and cheese was because they didn't serve fries. And um, after I got through my crushing disappointment of that, I said, all right, I'll, I'll make do with the mac and cheese. And I got it. It looked amazing. I took one bite, no salt, zero salt. And again, my disappointment just continued to manifest itself. I had to eventually repent. But, um, but no salt. What good is the mac and cheese without salt, right? You are the mac and cheese of the world. <laughs> I'm just trying to wake you up a little bit. The elders are going to have to forgive, forgive me for that one, man. I don't, don't even want to. Guys, I'm sorry. Can we not talk about this tomorrow already? Um, but we are people who have light and we are people that are called to be salt to reflect the light and the flavor of Jesus. Thirdly, we're called to mimic the giving heart of Jesus. Philippians 2.3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And he says this crazy thing. He says, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So he said, no, no, take care of yourself but also take care of others. Give to others. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. What he's saying here is give what you've been given. Be a giver. 
Let generosity flow out from you because that's, that sticks out in a community that's trying to hold everything as close to their vest as they can. That's one of the ways that we can be missional and have missional viability in our backyards, at our coffee shops, at our places of work, at our schools, in our neighborhoods as we're walking. Be that person who's willing to give out of the abundance that he's been given. Fourth, you show the love of Jesus. Galatians 5.13, for you are called to freedom, brothers. Only don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But then he says this, if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you are not consumed by one another. So the call of the church is to love your neighbor as yourself. Because nobody doesn't love himself, right? But be careful because the tendency of our flesh is not to love. It's not to show generosity. It's not to give the benefit of the doubt. It's to devour. It's to say, you disagree with me? Well, that's gonna cost you. It's not to show grace. It's not to be benevolent. We see that all over the place right now. We're in an epidemic of the church not showing generosity and gentleness and kindness and reasonableness to the church. I heard Matt Chandler, he preached a sermon last week and he said, dude, the line is so low right now, right? The line is so low. I mean, literally what Paul is saying here is don't be a jerk is what Chandler was trying to say. I mean, gosh, man, the line for this right now is so low. Man, there's something about you that is going to look and smell and taste like Jesus if you are merely not a jerk. That's always been the case, by the way. But man, we're just seeing it just so exaggerated right now. And we can do this. We can show this love to each other. We don't have to be a church that bites and devours one another. And we are not, by God's grace. And then finally, we get involved with the issues Jesus was involved in. We get involved with the issues and the things that Jesus himself was involved in. Micah 6, 8, he has told you, oh man, what is good? What does the Lord require of you but to love justice, to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? So when we look around and we see some of the inequity, and that does something to us. We don't politicize those things. We say, hey, there are people that are hurting. That hurts me because it hurts the heart of God. What can I do? What can I do to push the needle forward in some of these areas where I can be of help and show love and service? Use my time. Use some of my treasure, my resources that God has given me. Why? Because that's how we show missional love and vitality by serving one another, because Jesus was involved in those things. That's how the church is meant to scatter. That's how the church is meant to scatter. After we gather together for spiritual maturity, after we create honest community, how do we, how do we scatter? Well, this is how we scatter. This is how we become missionally viable and vital people, by following the instruction and the example of Jesus Christ. I mean, on some ways you look at that and you go, man, it, it just seems simple. It is simple, but it's not simple because we have this flesh side of us that's pushing against that, right? 
So we pray and we ask that God would grow us in that vitality. So here's a couple of observations as we close. Um, as we talk about gathering, as we get down to just the nuts and bolts of being a church, being people that have to wake up on a Sunday morning and gather together and coming from a year when we didn't have to do that, right? So how do we get back into this pattern, back into this routine of, of gathering? Well, a couple of things, a couple of observations. I think there's two things that we need to be uh, just guarded against. The first thing is we can either overvalue our gatherings or we can undervalue our gatherings. Some of you, it's probably rare, but some of you might overvalue gatherings in the sense that this is the thing that you feel like justifies your existence as a Christian, right? To you, Sunday is about coming out of the evil world. It's about getting into this holy huddle, right? It's about creating kind of a bunker mentality. You see gathering as that place that makes you the person you are before Christ. And that's part of it. But the problem with that is that it can become this thing that you do where you don't have this heart that is growing in affection for Jesus, but church becomes something else altogether for you. It becomes something that makes you feel better about your week, better about your life, better about your position before Christ because you just walked into the warehouse on Sunday. Now, again, it's not to push against walking to the worst. I just spent like 20 minutes on how important it is for us to walk in here and gather. But we got to understand why we're doing it. We got to also understand what it's not doing for you, right? It's not justifying you before Jesus. Some of you guys undervalue the gathering. For some of you, it's just, man, it's just not a priority. Um, it's the first thing to just, just get X'd off the schedule if something comes up you've kind of bought in a little bit into that low commitment culture, right? Kids have sports on Sundays, need to take a family day every once in a while. Some of you, I mean, some of you are here like every seven years when there's like an eclipse, right? That's, that's what it's become, right? I know I'm stepping on some toes right now. Um, so just hear my heart in that, man, we want to see the gathering the way that Jesus sees the gathering. We want to see it as being something beautiful that he has put together for both our flourishing and to increase our faithfulness. Now I'm going to have you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So that we can understand our place. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 12. I'm going to start reading. For just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we are baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body doesn't consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And I'm going to go down to verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. And so we go on and on and we read about how God gave a particular purpose for all of you with how he made you, the gifts he's given you, and what he's called you to do. We were created, by the way, listen to this, to need one another. Because some of you are an eye, some of you are an ear, some of you are a hand, some of you are a nose. Some of you are each of these parts, and we need all of these parts. We need one another to serve one another, to be served by others. 
Do you guys understand what goes on? You guys are all involved in something here. Many of you are involved in something here, right? Like what just happened a minute ago, right? We had Scott, we had Kathy, we had Kyle. We had a team up here of musicians who prepare music. In the back, we usually have Nick or we have Dan or we have Sheldon who run the soundboard. We have Tim Black who runs uh, just our audio uh, video stuff when we're doing some of those things. We have Rachel Dillon who schedules volunteers and makes sure our children's ministry is prepared and functioning. We have men and women who commit to, to being on the cleaning team who are here on like a Thursday night to shine up the warehouse for Sunday. We have Liz Klingler who creates art so that we have beautiful graphics for the bulletin and for social media, right? We have our cafe team. What do they do? And they go shopping at Sam's Club every week to stock up for our feast after services. We have greeters who welcome you all in. Um, I saw the Petruses doing it this morning so that hospitality is the first thing you receive when you walk in the doors. We have Tammy Van Hove who meets with our Mercy Ministry team to pray and to discuss creative ways for us to reach into our community. We were just exchanging emails this morning about that. We have elders who meet four times a month to pray, to plan, and discuss how to faithfully shepherd and oversee the church family. We have community group leaders who gather weekly with their groups and once a month here in the church for training. And all of you who faithfully serve with your time, talent, and resources, you are members of one body. Do you see the way it all works? Do you see the way it's supposed to function? You can all be a part of this. There is a place for all of you in this. And let me just say this, I know we're out of practice. Man, I know we're out of practice. I know we have challenges. I know pancakes and PJs became cozy for us over a year of live streaming. I get that. I never got to do it, but I get it. I'm imagining it because I love pancakes. Let me encourage you to enjoy what God has for the good of your life by investing in the church body. Ashton will only be better as we grow in the love, grace, and knowledge of God, which we were meant to do together in the company of men, women, and children in this, listen, risky, inconvenient, imperfect, and frustrating at times mess that's called the gathered and scattered church. But you know what? This is where this place with these people, and this is where we meet Jesus. This is where others meet Jesus through us. Don't neglect the gathering as some do because anytime we neglect what scripture tells us is good is neglecting the means for increased flourishing and increased faithfulness. And sometimes it's just encouraging to see someone here. Man, I'm not gonna get a chance to talk to every one of you after this service, but seeing you here right now, I got this vantage point, right? It just encourages my heart. You know why? Because I think... This is the morning when some of you will, one, maybe have a breakthrough in God's word. Something will be spoken that changes something that has been a hang-up for you for years. Some of you will have a breakdown from God's word. And you will hear something in you. It will cause you to go before the Lord in sorrow and in repentance. We preach repentance here at this church. We preach sin. So those are good things when God breaks those things down. Some of you will have that breakthrough to someone next to you. Do you ever think of that? That you will be the breakthrough 
for that person who's sitting next to you in the ways that I just described. Man, if we open our eyes, we can see so many possibilities when the body of Christ comes together to pray, to sing, to hear preaching, to praise God and repent together. You see possibilities when we don't neglect the gathering, but we push through the discomfort and learn once again, like it says in Psalm 16, that God delights in the saints of the land because they are his excellent ones. Do you see how personal autonomy and individualism are the antithesis of these things? Spiritual maturity is never saying, I got this, until we are gathered together with brothers and sisters who are holding us up physically and lifting us up spiritually so that we can scatter into our neighborhoods as ambassadors who carry the good news of Jesus while encouraging others to come join us in this beautiful, messy gathering. You hear me? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for these men and women who have gathered faithfully this Sunday, who will scatter faithfully into the community. Lord, in all of our imperfectness and all of our messiness, seeking, Lord, to please you, to grow in your wisdom, in knowledge, Lord, to have our hearts continually change, whether we feel it or not, trusting that this is the way in which you have called us for those things to happen. So we trust you in that. We pray that you would give us increased faithfulness as the gathered and scattered church. Let us grow in spiritual maturity, Lord. Let us create truly honest community together. Let us become a missionally viable and vital people for the sake of our good, for the sake of your glory, or continue to move us forward in these areas as a church as we continue to seek you, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.